Welcome to Publishing Dribble, the podcast that breaks the rules and helps you kickstart your career as a successful nonfiction author and entrepreneur. I'm your host, Melina Benson. Welcome to the show, Diana Gladney. Thank you. I'm so pumped to be here. Yeah. So, Diana, just to introduce you to the listeners, you help busy entrepreneurs simplify video creation so that they can amplify their business and their brand using videos. For how long have you been doing this? Oh, goodness. I would say that clarification to that point may be since 2000, I'd say about 2018 or 19, more so, honestly. Yeah. And has it been a full-time job from the beginning or is it something that came along the way? <laughs> no, it definitely wasn't. It was something that I started part-time, started my business part-time when I still worked full-time uh, at working at the bank. And then I would work, you know, the, well, it's not nine to five hours. I would actually work, but the nine to five job, get home. And then like they say, the five until you faint <laughs> working <laughs> on the business uh, outside of that. And then it was around about May 10th, 2019, honestly, where I quit my job and went full-time in the business and been full-time ever since then. Okay. What did you do before you started this business? So I worked full-time jobs like anybody else. So my jobs were in the financial services industry. And then that last job that I held, the position I worked with in the title lending department for a very well-known banking institution. And so if you filled out a job application for um, like you, well, not a job, but if you fill out a car loan application and you needed to provide a proof of income, initially I was that person to review and make sure you qualify. And then went on to make sure that all the titling and stuff was correct on your car. So on the back end of that process, when you go to get a car, I was that person doing that job at the bank. Okay. And what made you make this shift? What was it that you wanted that was different? To be honest, my process in the journey of getting started didn't become like, oh, this is something I'm interested in uh, only kind of thing. I, I, you know, I knew I didn't always want to work a job. My first hoorah, if you will, of any level of uh, an exposure to entrepreneurship in that way, which is by a way most people would probably hate by now, which is network marketing. And so seeing that people lived a different kind of life and that it was not just them, but you know, you find from people that write books and people that do podcasts and have all these other things. I'm like, okay, so there's an other side of just working jobs. There's people that, not just the people that own these kind of corporations, but own all kinds of businesses. Then I'm like, what am I created to do? And then unfortunately, in the midst of doing that and then quitting and then just continuing to work and excel in the, in the company that I was working at, I got sick. At the time, I didn't know I had stage four endometriosis. It was just this kind of unfortunate lifelong challenge and disease. But I just know I got really sick. And for 16 months, every day I was in the worst pain of my absolute life. And I didn't know what was wrong, nor did the doctor. So unfortunately, I wound up having emergency surgery. That's when I found out. And it was waking up from that. And they were like, hey, fortunately, we almost lost you there. So, <laughs> you know, so I had some complications with the surgery. And this is what life is now. You know, you're going to have to do this. These are the medications that you need. Um, and here's what quality of life looks like. Otherwise, you need to keep having surgeries every couple of years. And you hear that waking up. I'm not thinking that, you know, mid-20s at the time. I'm just looking at, like, I can take an ibuprofen and the headache's gone kind of a thing. That's what I thought this whole procedure was going to be. You go in there, figure out what's wrong. You fix it. I wake up, I get back to my life. Well, life wasn't going to be the same anymore, unfortunately. And so going back to work, I was a different person. And so that's when I really started praying and asking God, like, who am I? Why am I here? 
And what am I built to do? Because working at the bank ain't cutting it. So uh, it was in that process that I, I really started to figure out, well, I at least know, you know, how to help somebody get started in starting a company from just the bare bones of an idea to at least the documentation side of things uh, with getting it set up. And so I just started doing consulting in that. And my coach at the time told me, you need to start doing video and start sharing your message that way. That's how you get more clients. And I'm like, I hate that stuff. And so I don't want to be on camera. I want to take pictures. I want to do any of this stuff. And he's like, well, sucks for you because you got to do it. So that's how I got introduced to any of the video stuff. But it's definitely not it's like a thousand miles away from this and definitely wasn't interested in it. Okay. And now you have a pretty substantial YouTube channel and TikTok <laughs> channel and probably Instagram channel. I actually didn't check that one out, <laughs> but I, I, it's pretty substantial. Yeah. It, so, it's been so, it's been a journey. <laughs> yeah. So when did it start taking off? Was it just from the get go or was it an increase over time or a big jump at some point? What happened? Yeah, it definitely wasn't uh, one of those overnight success kind of a things. So I started the channel around the time I kind of started the business by way of my coach, uh, my business coach at the time. And so if you go way, way back in the channel, then you'll hear me talk more about, you know, tax saving strategies for home-based businesses and personal development, stuff like that. And so I started doing it at that point. It was when I posted the video to YouTube, and this is just the ones that he would tell me to do, 60, 90 seconds, something like that, uh, something around your messaging. And so one of the videos, instead of it getting maybe the two, three, four, five sympathy views that you give yourself and your accountability partners <laughs> that are watching it or something, uh, watch the video. This video went to 99 views in like a matter of an hour or something. And people started commenting on it that I had no idea who they were or how they found the YouTube channel. And I was just kind of using YouTube like a free Dropbox at the time. I wasn't trying to grow a YouTube channel. I didn't have a concept of growing a YouTube channel or any of that stuff. And unfortunately, I did. I just like I said, I was using it poorly. The unfortunate thing wound up being, uh, or excuse me, the fortunate aspect of that, those 99 views showed me that something else is happening on YouTube where people can find your videos and stuff in a way that. I just didn't think about you watch stuff and you like it, but you don't have any aspect of how to do that. And my coach wasn't aware really of how to grow a YouTube channel either. His thing was Facebook. And so I just started searching feverishly. I'm like, how is this working or where are these people's coming from? It wind up being they were searching for something that just so happened to share the same title that my YouTube video did. And I'm like, okay, new secret unlocked. There's a closet in this house that nobody talked about that has this magic treasure chest in it of who knows what. Uh, and so that started me on the discovery of YouTube to start growing the channel. And I started posting consistently, um, sometimes it'd be two and three times a week and sometimes it'd be one times per week, but I was just posting feverishly and every new video led to a problem with the actual video. It, it physically looked bad and it audibly sounded horrible and I couldn't figure out why. So I kind of ran the two in tandem and uncovered uh, a new passion in like, okay, I get this. If you need to share your vision, you need to use video. And it wind up being that just that one video and people accidentally finding it was like, what would happen if I actually learned how to use YouTube properly and then started to, you know, just see if I can grow this, I can do this outside my job. And so it's been a long journey. And that was probably around 2017 or something like that. And then I switched into doing what I'm doing now. Like, so every new problem that I figured out how to fix. I'm like, it's probably somebody else that don't get this 
stuff and not a photographer, videographer or whatever. Let me make that video. My audience that I was growing started to respond to it and I loved it. So I'm like, well, screw the other stuff because I'm more passionate about this. And that's how I started just building the channel. So it was around, goodness, maybe 2019, 2020, the channel really started to take off with a video series that I had made that at the, upon launch didn't do that great. It wasn't doing bad, but it was doing better and better. And then by the time early 2020 came, then the, the videos that I had already posted really started to grow and accelerate the channel. Do you think it had to do with COVID? Yeah, but but it wasn't just COVID. COVID was definitely a catalyst for sure, but that wasn't it. If I had not done all the work the two to three years prior to that of like starting with my phone and figuring out the problems and then getting in and investing in a camera and figuring out the problems, learning to live stream and figuring out the problems, already coaching people and working people, I wouldn't have had the infrastructure to survive the influx of what COVID made possible. And so it's a lot about, yeah, the, the preparation, meeting that ideal moment. And then it's like, okay, you're built for this. Let's go ahead and, and run with it. COVID would have hurt me if I wasn't already doing this stuff. And like somebody finds it because you, then you'll know what to do. But I had, was already in the process of building. So COVID definitely helped, but you had to do the work before too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. So the problems that you felt, are those the same problems that you see other people have with growing a YouTube channel? Absolutely. The confusion around the messaging, things like how we have this conversation now, this is not how we would do a YouTube video. No, <laughs> you know, it's, you know, it's like, it's uh, those things. And so you don't know how to present yourself or how you sound, or I'm saying like how to present yourself, but it's really more like showing the real you just on camera. That's really what it is. Most people think you're presenting, but it's no, it's like you constantly grow to the level of showing who you really are who your friends see, who people in the business that you work with see, but you're sharing that on camera. When people turn the camera on, they just deflate and you don't sound like yourself. You don't look like yourself or you, you say things to yourself that otherwise are deflating, you know? And so they, that aspect, but what I learned more is that people had more of a technical aspect as well. And so this big hurdle being the tech to keeping them from sharing their, their vision using video I was like, I can help with this because I get it. I'm a systems efficiency kind of person. So I'm like, it makes sense to share not only what I'm sharing, what I'm learning, but also sharing like, here's how you make the connection or here's how you get over this hurdle so that you can go through and hopefully speed past all of the road bumps that I hit along the way. Yeah. Oh, I can so recognize that journey. Even today, I'm about to do a new YouTube video series. Mm -hmm. And I have quite a lot of gear I bought over the years. <laughs> and there was one cable I couldn't find. <laughs> and I ended up spending so much time figuring out how can I use all of the stuff that I have. And you know what? I ended up ordering a complete new set. <laughs> so I know that all of the cables are there. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, you know what? Let's just start over here. <laughs> yeah. It's small plug that just wouldn't fit. <laughs> yeah. It can, yep. it can oh, definitely man. delay that you don't do the marketing you want to do mm -hmm. for your business also. Mm -hmm. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So Diana, you ended up writing recently, quite recently, a book, right? The one right video. Mm. Can you tell me a little bit about how did you decide that you were going to write a book? Where did that come from? Uh, so for me, I'm always like, I'm a person that spends a lot of time in prayer. Just one, I want to figure out where I'm going. I want to figure out what I'm doing. And I want to have clarity in doing that. 
And so I always can tell when it's something that's not from me, it's not my own original idea, when I don't want to do it. Like, I'm not on board with that. And it's like, oh, you should write a book. And I'm like, yeah, that doesn't sound right. Let's focus on this other thing over here. Let's get another camera. Let's get, you know. And so I just kept that idea would not go away, just that whole feeling. I'm like, about what to say, what to do, what, what's the point? You know, you figure there's already so many other voices or even voices that you respect. And you're like, what can I add to this conversation that doesn't already exist? What value could I provide? Again, that already doesn't exist. And so the, the thought of writing a book was not anything comfortable, honestly. It was something I fought with for probably like four to six months before I started writing it. And then I started writing and stopping and writing and stopping just because it was like super frustrating because what I uncovered in writing a book is that you expose yourself to yourself. You uncover those small limiting beliefs that maybe you keep carrying from day to day that you don't realize you're carrying from day to day because you've not had to address it yet. Um, It doesn't come up. And you think it's no big deal. So again, those little thoughts of what do I have to add? What's the value um, that I could provide? Or even just a basic question of what would I write the book about? Um, And so it really made me get much better, much deeper inside myself. And like one, seeing the true value of what you provide, who you are and what you do, but also how you can serve your your ideal target audience in a completely different way. And so now it's not just like the the one book that I've written. It's like looking like, oh man, I can see two and three more here and this, that, or whatever. So uh, it's been definitely quite the journey. I love that uh, expression. You expose yourself and I recognize that's what people say to me. But then you said to yourself, mm. people are often worried that they will expose themselves to the world when they publish a book. You are standing there naked. If it's in mm. paper format, it's going to be there forever. Right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That that's the biggest yeah. worry people have. But the real experience, quite often, when I work with authors, is exactly what you say: that you expose yourself to yourself, mm-hmm. and also quite often you get more clarity on what you teach on your concept. Did you have that experience as well? Absolutely. Oh my gosh! Absolutely. So you have a framework in clarity, I think. Yeah. Yep. Clarity framework. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So that was one of the things that like you forget what you do or you forget what you talk about sometimes <laughs> and when, when you're just so used to you're, you're used to being in a thick of, of your work. And so the clarity framework was something that I use all the time, but it wasn't something I was talking about all the time. If I work with clients or if I'm teaching at an event or something like that, I would bring it up and, and cover it, but not to the depth that I probably should have for sure. So the clarity framework is a filtration process where you're doing it at two different times when you're in the process of creating content, which is, and I'm saying content as far as video content, but it worked for anything. When you're talking about making a YouTube video and you're formulating your outline or what you want to do, I don't go with the script, so it's like line by line. I just do an outline of what I want to cover. And so I'm filtering it through to make sure, is this essentially going to be clear to the point and relevant to the ideal target audience that this video is made for? Because you'll say and keep stuff in it that you like or that you feel like they need to know, but is it relevant to the point or the desire uh, and the pain points that your audience is having that is specific to what that video is talking about? So that way, before I even hit record, I'm filtering this video and I'm like, oh, I forgot that or oh, I should add this in. Um, So I'm doing it. And then you record it, which naturally we all ad lib or we'll say something different or get a natural idea that we'll record. But also in the process, when I get my video back from my editor, 
we put it through that clarity framework again. Is this still clear? What bits did I say that I thought was great during the outline initially, but I'm looking back at it now at the finished product. And I'm like, we need to take that bit out. That's not relevant to them, or they're not going to care about that, or that needs to go in a different video. So that way, by the time we publish that video, that video does its job. It's going to connect and it's going to hit well. And we start getting more into the, the psychographics of what our audience really cares about so that the video can actually do what you want. Grow your email list, get more leads, make sure you get more clients with what you're doing. And so that's what that clarity framework uh, is built around. And by the way, the uh, very useful framework also for books. <laughs> yeah, I would say so. <laughs> of course, it's related to marketing. And there's a lot more about video as well in the book. But it's really basic marketing, isn't it? Because But mm. even people who have been in business for the longest time, they struggle quite often with this. Mm. <laughs> Getting clear on the message and not taking too much time from the reader, the viewer, the whatever it is, the listener, yep. that is not with content that's not relevant. Yep. I, so, I definitely did that with the book because I, had I not, it'd be double the size and, and it may be double the fluff. Again, it's just things that you think are important that you care about, but the hardest question to deal with and like the hardest pill to swallow um, as a content creating entrepreneur is, will my audience care about that? Or assuming, just already assuming they don't care. If yeah. I can say like, they, but they don't care then it's like, what would make them care? Or why would this be relevant to them? You can't answer that question well. Then it's like, it probably needs to go. And as far as like not deleting it completely, but put it on a different platform. So yeah, like a TikTok, like uh, your Instagram stories, like a community page or post or something that you put on YouTube community. So it's like, it doesn't have to go away for forever, but it just may not make sense to that medium that you're trying to post to at the moment. Yes, YouTube is pretty condensed content. It's faster paced than a podcast, for example. I feel that it it forces me to cut to the core message and deliver that more clearly than really any other format, I think. YouTube oh, is yeah. different. Yeah. Very different. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I learned that from, that was something I picked up from a ideal target audience member that actually commented on a video, again, probably circa 2017, 2018, where the gentleman said, I really like your videos. This one was great, but there was a couple different ones that stood out to me across that time frame. But this was one of them where it's like you're repeating yourself, and I'm like that. I'm like it's so stupid, and I'm like, why am I repeating myself in the video as if this is a one-to-one -one conversation that we're having, where somebody might forget if you're sitting in a cafe having a talk, and you know you add those bits and stuff like that, or even if you know you're doing a presentation. Because when you're live and in person and talking to somebody belly to belly, they might forget. It's logical that they would forget. We have studies that show that they do, but not in the video where they can hit rewind. And I'm like, you are absolutely right. Let's take that out. And so I started filtering my videos better based on what that ideal target audience is wanting and desiring. And so it's learning to listen to sometimes those more silent majorities like your ideal target audience that may not be commenting for one reason or another versus the loud majorities of somebody saying, this is great, this is great, this is great. And it's like, yeah, and it's not, again, to deflate yourself, but just learning what actually makes sense to do or not in the content. So about your book marketing, tell us about it. How, what did you do? Our book marketing, I would say it's fairly simple. We looked at the mediums that we have. Like we have the podcast, we have the YouTube channel, we do have TikTok, uh, we have an Instagram and like LinkedIn account, we don't publish there. 
probably as much as we should any longer, but we just redirected the focus. And so, and obviously in the email list and website or what have you. Then we also looked at like, what communications do we have and partnerships do we have with people? So one of the things that I have is that I, I thought about this up until like I was ready to publish the book and I had all the details and stuff like in Amazon, uh, KDP, and I'm sitting there, I'm like, I should ask him. I should ask him. And I was like, <laughs> and it wouldn't go away. And I'm like, man, Ray don't want to be the forwarder for my book. And I'm like, I'm going to ask. So I have nothing to lose. Ray, Ray Edwards and I, great friends. He's a wonderful individual and very experienced in copywriting and such. And so I just, I, that was one of the biggest things. I was like, let me ask Ray Edwards if he would write the forward for my book before I do this. And he agreed. <laughs> and I was so I, I know I know Ray I couldn't even imagine him saying no so it, it, it's yeah. an obvious choice <laughs> yeah why, but, you why know, do you why do you feel that was so difficult because I honor and respect Ray a tremendous amount he is one of the great mentors in my life and it's it's one of those lines where like I wouldn't feel like it would cross the line improperly but you also want to make sure you're not like abusing your relationship and such like that which I know that I don't But at the same time, it's always just still filtering that, that, that thought, like, where does this sit? And I also, this was the, the biggest thing with me, though. I also did not want to ask him if I was not going to be serious about the book. Mm. Because some people write a book and it might just be something to do or whatever the case. And I'm not going to do anything if I really don't care about it. You know, I'm not going to put my name behind it. And I definitely don't want him putting his name behind something, if it's like, you know, it's just not going to be that big of a deal, or I just eventually don't care, you know, something like that. I knew through the process of writing the book is one thing, but the other side of publishing is something else too. So that, that was why I was kind of hesitant around it. Yeah. So did he help you in either other ways? Are there any, you mentioned partnerships. Did you do any promotion together for the book or how did you do that? So Ray has talked about this book a lot, which I'm, again, extremely grateful for. So in his YouTube stories, in his email list, uh, in his events and workshops and stuff like that, uh, which has been amazing. So he's definitely done help with, with pushing the book out there. And then like we have like a partnership with sometimes you'll see me like on his YouTube channel talking about video for copywriters. And so helping them to make that uh, connection. And so I haven't promoted it in that way, per se, again, on the on his YouTube channel. But there is some relationship there where the book has definitely uh, been promoted. So I always appreciate that. Yeah, I think that we need to start using the word collaboration more also. Mm -hmm. uh, and and w uh, it's in the word partnership. <laughs> It mm -hmm. goes both ways. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So what else did you do? How did you use your email list? My thing is, if I'm going to email something, I want it to be something that somebody's going to read versus just like, hey, buy my book. And then it's like, again, it's like, hey, buy my book, <laughs> you know, kind of a thing. I'm like, what would they care about? Uh, and again, it's always filtering stuff through not just like this clarity framework, but also asking that question of why should they care? And so I had to get in touch with the stories. And there's a lot of real comments from the YouTube channel and real comments from people on the email list around it. And so I wanted it to connect with them, not me sell the book, but connect with them. In that this is somebody's story. This is somebody's experience. This is how somebody else got over the hurdle. And I found that did way more better than just those blanket black and white emails of, again, like say the buy the book flag. Nobody cares about that. But it's the, it's the difference of, I think it was one of the candy bar companies that you're not the same person when you're hungry, which, you know, we always joke and say hangry. Yeah. 
Yeah. And so the commercial started to be around you not being yourself when you're hungry. And that's the promotion for the candy bar. So I kind of took that kind of, a, of, of an approach of you don't want to make videos when you can't get over the tech hurdle. You yeah. don't like I started communicating their stories and for obvious privacy reason, changing some names uh, and stuff like that. So it doesn't feel like it's directly one person or even combining three people into one individual. So I'm telling multiple stories without any one person feeling bad. But I started to share the stories and stuff like that. And that did way better. You know, you, your email always lands with people when you start getting replies back of, man, like I read a lot of emails, but this one like really did it for me because they see themselves in that person's journey. And I feel like if you're going to do promotion via email, really understand the people that are on the list and talk to them, communicate to them instead yeah. of talking at them. And I found that works tremendously better than, you know, any other thing. So that's what I did uh, with the book. I had to dig back into the stories of the who's yes. in here, why would they care? And I guess also uh, taking into consideration that your relationship with people who chose to be on your email list mm -hmm. is just that tiny bit more intimate than it is with people who saw one or two videos or mm -hmm. on TikTok or YouTube for that matter. But when people decide, I'm going to give her my contact details, mm -hmm. they are in a different state. They need something different from you. Yeah, it's it's the difference when somebody asks for your social handle versus asking for your cell phone number, not your business line, but your actual phone number, you know, to text you or something. And it's like that kind of level of privacy with email with people, exactly like what you said. They can hit a quick follow button on Instagram because they think whatever, you know, they just feel like, uh, I'll come back around. Or though that may be helpful later. Or I'm gonna get to something in three months that that may come back around. That'd be helpful. And until you annoy that person, they may continue to follow you blindly, but not really paying attention. And then the algorithm adjusts and they don't see you anymore. So and they forgot about you. I've done that a bajillion times. Like, who is this person again? Why do I, why am I following? Them? I don't know who they are. Email list though. Yeah. They said yes to you specifically. They yeah. want communication with you. So yeah, it's a, it's a much deeper level. Yes. So did you have a pre-launch or was it more like a, I would almost say regular launch. That's not what I meant because a pre-launch is a regular launch. <laughs> <laughs> so which phases do you have in your marketing plan? So my, I would definitely say, I wish I could, could say that we did this way better, but we didn't. We did it very messily. And so on the back end of this, I can tell you what I did and I can tell you what I wish I had done. So we we did the pre-launch where you do like the, the pre-launch team or like your street team or whatever, where you're gathering your people. I did that. What I failed to do was as much communication with them on the journey, on the process of the book that I wish I had done closer towards the launch. So it's I think that was one thing I would definitely suggest if you have one, which you definitely should. And more people than you think would say yes. What we found and what I found even through mentors and coaches that helped me through this process, whatever number you're thinking, now take 33% of that. That's the real of how many actually are going to participate with what you're doing. So just because you have 100 people don't mean all 100 are going to follow through on what they said they were going to do. I don't care how much people love you have the best intentions. Life happens to us all. And when something else more important comes up, last minute thoughts become no minute thoughts. <laughs> so just think like 33% of whatever that number is. So I wish that I had started a little bit earlier, but I was more frantic because I, at the time of the launch, I knew I was going to be doing social media marketing world. So knowing that I probably should have started way earlier, 
just to give myself some grace and space. But that's what I wish I had done is had better communication with them up to the point because people definitely ask and I'm like, I'm so busy. I can't even think straight right now. <laughs> I'm like, I just gonna have to give me a second. But that's what we what we did. And so then once we started the communication, started emails only to them that worked way better. And so setting up something that like, you know what the tags are for them or for the filters. And so uh, on my YouTube channel, we have what we call the Friday live stream or the Friday live helpcast. And so that was birthed, something that was birthed out of 2020 just to help people. I was getting way more emails that I could physically respond to. Uh, and so I just started the, the Friday live helpcast so I could actually help people bring them on live, let them show me whatever their thing is with the tech issue or whatever. And we fix it right there on the spot in addition to communicating and having conversations in the chat. I uh, should so have known that so I could ask you about that cable. <laughs> <laughs> you definitely should have. <laughs> But it would be stuff like that. People are like, you see this? You see this? What's, what is that? And I'm like, what else you got? Show me how, you know, I'm so serious. And it was like the best thing because everybody had those kind of questions. They said, I can't get this person or this person booked out. I'm like, here's what I can do. Every Friday, by 11.45 a.m., sometimes whenever I get online, I'll see, just hit the notifications. You'll see me when I go live. Yes. <laughs> and, and that's what I would do is hop on live. And so what I did was introduce there um, because I wanted to make this super stupid easy for it to be like no barrier for people to get onto that street team so that they could join. And so I put a QR code on the screen. So if any live streaming software or, or program that you use, they allow you to put images and stuff on the screen. Well, through Canva, especially if you are an author and you uh, are having a nonprofit or, or your nonprofit organization, Canva has, allows you to have their pro account. So their highest available account with everything unlocked for free. You just got to send them your, your number for your organization and you can get all that stuff for free. Well, as a business owner, I pay for that stuff. Uh, but one of the things you could do is create a QR code. So the link to that landing page for the email list or whatever, um, put that into Canva, pasted it, got the image so that when I would talk about the book, And that I would talk about like the street team, this is the dates that I have in mind, or this is when what whatever is going to happen with the book and the launch. I just put the QR code on the screen. So all they had to do was show that image to their phone instantly, the link pulls up. And so it's low barrier to entry. And then I also did a URL short link. So it may be dina.link forward slash book or dina.link forward slash whatever, so that any links that I'm recommending, it's always diana.link forward slash and then whatever the thing is. So when it was time for the launch, diana.link forward slash launch team for, or the um, book alert squad, I think is what I call them. Diana.link forward slash book alerts. So anytime I mention it, or if I'm talking about something else and the chat is still going, anybody else in the, the live stream, especially regular viewers, they're all on board. Everybody gets your process and your system because it was consistency with it. And that's for anything, even before the book. Somebody's like, well, what was the link again for such and such? Because I may have taken the image down. Oh, it's diana.link forward slash launch team. And it's like, oh, okay, okay. And so people would join and that made it easily and shareable, even on Facebook. There are Facebook groups that I'm a part of where because I know tech stuff, people ask me stuff, but I'm not always on social. And so people are like, well, well Diana, is this such and such? And somebody in the community that knows, I'm like, oh, it's diana.link forward slash whatever. So I just wanted it to be easy for all arrows to point to the same direction. And it would be the same thing on, on social media. You can alter this a little bit as uh, two schools of thoughts on this. Like when I post like to LinkedIn, for example, or stories, same thing, same QR code image. So people can either take a screenshot of it or just tap it and go. And then, but some people like to track the metrics to know 
specifically how many from Instagram, specifically how many from YouTube. I took the the simpler works approach. <laughs> so I always like simple serves. It's one of the things I, I live by. I didn't want to do that because if I'm going to change it slightly, that makes it even less memorable or people have that slight amount of confusion of, was it this one or is it that one or did it update? Or I don't want them to think about it. The less barriers to entry that you have for people to follow through on whatever it is that you're asking them and the easier, the less button clicks that it is, the more they are successful in following through with that. So we had a few hundred people sign up for that, uh, which wind up being just amazing because again, it's like simple serve. So that's what I would say one of the biggest things. I didn't make it complicated for people. And the same thing with the podcast. How did, you, how the did podcast. you then use the launch team during the launch? What did you ask them to do? The biggest thing is clarifying the steps of the what to do when. And so on the, we made a Facebook group and then we put on the banner, what dates do they need to do what by? Now I think it was just like three things. So it's like, obviously read the book and you need to be done reading the book by such and such date. The other reason that I wanted this book to be a certain length is because I knew I wanted my street team to be able to finish it. Most people don't finish books. Mm. I wanted this thing to be something that they could actually finish. Uh, and so that was super important to me because somebody just having the book doesn't mean anything if they don't actually read it and then read it to completion, I feel like it's important. So I wanted, I'm like, okay, what's the time frame for average reader to get through these many words, you know, passively reading or whatever. And I think it wind up being something like two hours. And I'm mm. like, guys, you need to book out two hours. I know how long it takes me to read, but that's not everybody. I'm a nerd. <laughs> so, <laughs> and so I was like, okay, I'm like average time. And then I also had before the street team, I did like eight or 10 close friends to read the beta version of the book. It had a completely different title and it had uh, more content in it still within that two hour time frame, but just uh, a little different. I, so I did the beta team first. That really, really helped. Uh, and I would absolutely encourage authors to do that because you may find a lot of gaps or a lot of confusion points around that because I'm like, did it take you longer than two hours or was this an easy two hour read or a hard two hour read? And it made it a hard two hour read in some areas because I just went, you know, where I say I got lost in the sauce where I'm getting too nerdy, too tech. I'm really inside the frame here. And mm -hmm. they're like, yeah, it's like, I follow you on your videos, but for whatever, I could not follow you at these chapters here, specifically this point, this point, this point. And I'm like, crap, I messed up. Mm -hmm. Somebody that's already super technical would get that not for who this book is intended to, they wouldn't. So that's a fail. So I'm like, we got to go change this. So the date now has to change. So I'm building this bigger launch team, but I, and I'm still constantly funneling people there, but I have my eight or 10 close friends and people that I know that fit the some that do and don't fit the target audience uh, to, to verify what's going on with the book I had. And I had to go back to the drawing board. I was so close to the deadline and like 30 to 45 days before I had to honestly rewrite the book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> allowing people in for feedback mm -hmm. as early as possible is definitely something I recommend. And I think you, you did not have an, an actual editor on the book. You were you were editing the book yourself, right? No, I actually had oh. an editor. You I, had an so editor I would, as well. Yeah, okay. I self-edited, but um, I still hired an editor for it. I didn't want to leave that up to chance for me. <laughs> okay. Okay. Because that's sometimes that can be enough to catch whatever might not be understood. But definitely that feedback. And that's uh, difficult for some people for us to ask for that. Mm. But Diana, before we uh, we wrap up, I'd like to hear. So you had the book launch team. And then I know that you consider your book marketing strategy a one-year plan. Mm. 
So what's going to happen here? It, we're at the time of this recording quite close to your your actual publication of the book. Mm-hmm. So what's going to happen within the next year? Honestly, we're in the process of doing a relaunch. And I, and again, it's just to clean up all of some of the stuff that I talked about in this one, because what's interesting, and I think anybody that does any level of marketing, is that number one, thankfully, I didn't wait until I was more close to finishing the book. From the day I started writing to the day I finished the outline, to the day I finished the first draft, all that stuff was being shared on social and being talked about so yes. that you could start building up buzz and start staring the nest, if you will. Yeah. But like I said, where I failed in a lot of things was closer towards the actual launch and the release of the book. Did we hit, you know, various Amazon bestsellers list? Yes. Did we hold those for a couple months succession? Yes. So the success of the book was still doing great. But the reason why I say a relaunch, because you can always do it better. And there's still tons of people that haven't heard of you or have never read your book before. And yeah. so it's really just figuring out what are some of these open gaps and loops that we created from the initial launch that either need to be completed, filled out, or corrected. And so now it's like, okay, now let's relaunch this thing. Let's redo this. And that may just mean making new social media graphics, finding a better way to explain this to the ideal target audience. or Because you learn so much uh, in this process. One of the best things I did was document it through my journal uh, consistently. And I have like a, a smaller vlog channel that I just Again, it's just about me documenting my journey because stuff that I care about that I want to be able to go back one day and look at. And so I have those moments and I can go back through my journal. It's like, oh, I forgot that. Crap, I should have did this. And so this one year process of the launch is like the book isn't done just because you you wrote it. And it's definitely not done like 30 to 60 days post launch, definitely not even 30, 60 or 90 days. Yeah. Uh, And so the one year launch plan is constantly building month by month. What what did we do last month? What was successful? What can we amplify and what can we elevate? So one thing I like to do with uh, vertical videos is skits. Uh, and so it may be something as simple as wearing a fake mustache, different glasses, a hat, you know, <laughs> a thing like that. And that's just my personality. Yeah. Uh, and I'm like, oh, what's one way that I could talk about the book or something that's in the book through the skit uh, or, or what have you? Or what's one way that I can bring this up in a live stream or whatever? Or what's a new way to do a giveaway? Uh, and so we craft, we've been crafting all these other different things. In the middle of the launch, I'm just, I was planning for, I'm like, we're going to have to do a relaunch at, at some point to fix some of this stuff. And so yeah. that one-year launch strategy is constantly improving and building. And within a year's time, there's still going to be more to do because this is just the beginning of life for the book. It's like getting rid of a baby at one year old. It's not done yet. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, I love that. I call it a marketing marathon. And I think that mm. even if you did the perfect book launch and you even did it for 90 days or even 90 days before the actual publication and 90 days after. It's not humanly possible to exhaust all the opportunities that you have Mm -hmm. with a book. You can, marketing can, you have something to talk about forever when you have a book. (laughs) Absolutely. 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 I love that. Diana, I know you were a little bit worried if you had something that was uncommon. I want to tell you that the involvement of your audience and how you went through that process, that definitely was uncommon. And thank you very much for sharing all of your experiences with the audience. Always a pleasure. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. 